Welcome to Medical Matters Weekly with Dr. Trey Dobson, presented by Southwestern Vermont Healthcare and Catamount Access Television. I'm Trey Dobson, Chief Medical Officer at Southwestern Vermont Medical Center, and I'm an emergency medicine physician with Dartmouth-Hitchcock Health. And this is Medical Matters Weekly, a show about the aspects of healthcare that matter to you most. My guest today is Adam Pruitt. He is an integrative psychiatrist with Taconic Psychiatry in Manchester, Vermont. We are so excited to have you, Adam. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for yeah. having me. And everyone who knows me in the audience uh, will not be surprised when I say this, but I have to just start off and say, Roll Tide. Roll Tide, yeah. Uh-huh. My family will be excited about the, the Alabama connection. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, just briefly, uh, Adam has a long uh, extent, uh, career here, a bachelor degree in German from Birmingham Southern College, which is uh, awesome. And lots of friends go to Birmingham Southern, Adam, but none, I don't believe, majored in German. So that is really cool. <laughs> Medical school at the University of Alabama, which is my father's alma mater. And now I'll just quit all the Alabama uh, um, <laughs> references. Fellowship with the Integrative Psychiatry Institute, worked for 10 years treating psychiatric patients in an inpatient setting in Alabama and Vermont, and his current practice uh, for treatment for ADHD, anxiety, bipolar disorder, depression, and trauma, and is pioneering in the use of ketamine-assisted therapy, which is what we are going to learn about today. So tell us a little bit, Adam, we like to get to know the the guests on the show so the audience can really relate to them uh, personally. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and how you got into medicine in the first place. Sure. Yeah. I, um, like you said, you know, much of my life growing up in Alabama and uh, college and med school, um, both in Birmingham and then uh, went to residency in Atlanta, um, moved back home to, uh, work in Alabama and then worked in the same hospital where I was born. And my pediatrician from growing up was still rounding there. So I don't think that you could kind of go back more closely than that. And um, my, you know, a few years ago, my husband and I got married in Vermont and around Woodstock, sight unseen to Vermont, loved it, had one of those idyllic weekends in July and summer and thought this is where we want to live and you know like maybe we'll retire here one day but uh, our you know personal circumstances changed our daughter was just at an age where you know it seemed to make sense for us to make a move if we were going to move and um, you know, a little over uh two and a half years ago uh we moved to the to the state of vermont that's fantastic so how did you go from uh, a bachelor's in German then into psychiatry? A lot of us have made changes, but uh, I'm interested to hear this one. So I, I went into um, school pre-med and, you know, going to a liberal arts school, but I thought I was going to be like everybody else and, you know, biology or chemistry or some other major, but we had a ton of requirements and went to a public high school and wasn't exposed uh, to a lot in a small town. and. I took German as my language instead of just continuing on with Spanish. And I had this class um, that compared literature, romantic literature from um, German and English romantic. And I just thought that the literature in German was so cool and ended up, you know, making that my major and 
deciding to do that along with my pre-med classes and just really opened up the world for me. I think I ended up studying abroad in Germany a couple of times for about three months total. And um, just, I, I think that humanities background or liberal arts background is where I felt more comfortable with psychiatry and medicine. Mm -hmm. I thought that I was going to be an internist and didn't have any doctors in my family. And so I didn't exactly know anything about other specialties or, or what I would want to do. Wasn't exposed to it in my family. And my rotations in school just weren't, didn't, you know, I, I wasn't connecting with them, but near the end of uh, my third year, psychiatry was just, you know, lock and key kind of fit for me. And what do you find rewarding about psychiatry? You know, I mean, especially in the last two years, I mean, the amount of, you know, challenges that people are facing, um, it's just unbelievable. And that people are able to come to me and share some of their most intimate details. You know, there's so many things that are so personal and tragic. I think that people tell me and they'll tell me that I'm the first person they've ever told or that they've never felt comfortable sharing that with someone else. And, you know, I've like everyone else certainly had my fair share of challenges in the last few years, but to be able to sit with that for people and to be trusted with such information. It's, it's so rewarding. Absolutely. So talk to us a little bit. You, you went ahead and did a fellowship in integrative psychiatry. What is integrative psychiatry? How does it differ from traditional psychiatry and anything else you would want this audience uh, to know about? Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, I had done inpatient work for several years, probably, um, eight or nine years um, by the time that I signed up for this. And it was just this year long, you know, continuing education program to get a lot more information about things that we didn't get introduced to in medical school. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot of specific things, but it's more of looking at the person as a whole, uh, really focusing on meditative practices, diet, nutrition, supplements, um, other nutrients that people might be taking, or, you know, especially in my field that, you know, traditional medications and pharmaceuticals are used so much and people get on a laundry list of medications. If there is a possibility that they're not being treated without a medication, then how to, to streamline that and to always be thoughtful of the least amount of medication prescribed. So it's, I think the way that I use it in my practice, and a lot of people come to me for traditional um, medication management, but just always looking at different areas uh, that that could be helpful for people. Right. And so you're one of the only psychiatrists in practicing in Vermont, at least that I'm, I'm aware of, um, that's providing ketamine-assisted therapy. So why don't you introduce the topic of of ketamine to, to the audience here. Um, I will say as, you know, as an emergency physician, been using ketamine for a long time, <laughs> but in, in com for completely different reasons and in completely right. different doses um, as well. Right, right. <clears throat> and I think it's that integrative psychiatry fellowship that got me interested in ketamine. A big part of that fellowship was different therapies like ketamine, 
like things that may be coming in medications that are similar to that, that have been, that we haven't been able to use because of their illegality, but are starting to be studied a lot more. But ketamine has been available for us to use in the, you know, in treatment for depression. It's been studied for, for a long period of time um, in various different forms, and there's various schools of thought around that. Anesthesiologists, emergency room doctors, a lot of kind of that camp is setting up IV clinics and really using the medication in lower doses than I think that you're talking about in the emergency room for agitation um, to really just hone in on the dose and kind of let the medicine do its work, you know, kind of the pharmacy of the medication. Um, For me, and I think the way a lot of psychiatrists go and then the people who do the therapy, the psychologist and licensed therapist um, are using it intramuscularly um, in the office. And so just an injection in the arm, much lower doses, you know, typically starting at 35 milligrams where it's several hundred milligrams to contain someone for agitation. Um, and then increasing that dose usually based on, on a person's weight, but because of the intramuscular injection, it's not like an IV that you can turn on on and off. Um, the person really has to let go. Um, and kind of, it becomes not only about the, the research that has shown that ketamine is beneficial for depression and kind of how it's met, how its mechanism of action works, but also my staying with the patient. Um, they're relaxing on a sofa in my office with eye mask on listening to music, you know, often with a blanket on. So it's very similar to, to lying in bed and the experience where they go with the ketamine also becomes a big part of the treatment. Um, the things that come up either from their past or rewiring situations that may have been traumatic or that they want to work on that we, you know, look at it from multiple different ways, um, for it to be helpful, not only in how people feel better right away, as far as depression goes, especially people who are having suicidal thoughts, but using it with therapy, um, and to just really give them a real boost in, in their overall mood and how they, how they manage their lives and have agency in their lives. Right. And when we talk about using um, ketamine in an emergency department setting, it's you know, often for procedures uh, or that's fracture reduction, uh, long uh, laceration repairs, often in, in young children who um, may not be uh, un- understand what's going on that's in their best interest. And, and we use large doses, three to four milligrams per kilogram. Uh, intramuscularly, and you're using sort of uh, a disassociative type dosing, right? Right. Uh, of the, of the medicine. It tells a little bit more of, about ketamine. I mean, not the exact pharmacokinetics because I don't believe that's what the audience is looking right. for. But you said it, it does have a history, uh, mm-hmm. and it is similar to some other other medications that you alluded to that are not actually uh, legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ketamine has that role. So just a little bit more ad lib on what you learned in your fellowship and, and how it's applicable. 
Yeah, I mean, the thing that comes to mind is when you know people come to me for traditional medications, and I'm telling them, you know, you need to take this for two weeks, four weeks, six weeks. We'll see, you know, whether you get better, if it's making having an effect, and where we need to go with that. Ketamine is usually, you know, I mean, the medicine hits you in five minutes uh, or or less. It's not very long that it takes, you know, to act with people and people. It tends to peak at about 40 minutes um, and people kind of vary as far as kind of how long it takes for them to kind of orient back to where they are. But after about 75 minutes is when I get everyone up and then we wrap up uh, for about 15 minutes. It's like night and day for so many people, Um, you know, for medicine is so rewarding to help people. I'm used to that being very, very, a very slow process. It's so rewarding to see people feel better right away, to feel hopeful uh, right away. So it, you know, it helps, especially with really severe treatment resistant depression where people have had suicidal thoughts and active suicidal thoughts and are really, a, a lot of my patients are in a bad spot when they come to me and, right away, they tell me they're not, um, after that it's, you're not a miracle cure for anyone by any means, but it, people get hope and kind of the quicksand under their feet starts to turn more rocky and have a, you know, a firmer foundation for them. So depression is, is the primary psychiatric condition you're treating. Are you anything, any other psychiatric conditions, anxiety, um, others yeah there's lots lots of different things uh a lot of anxiety uh, you know a fair bit of trauma people who've had traumatic experiences and hold that in different ways of kind of you know the tightness or or flashbacks or kind of going numb and blanking out around thinking about trauma and giving them a safe space where they can think about it in a different way and hopefully rewire their brains even though a lot of people may know of ketamine as a drug that's um, been used illegally or, you know, in a party setting and are worried about the addiction potential of ketamine. It's been studied and used a lot for, for treatment of alcoholism or for other drug uses, but particularly for alcohol use disorder as well. So um, when you think about some of your patients are, are they typically, are you trying ketamine in isolation or are you using it as an adjunct to their other, not only medical therapies, but, uh, but psychological therapies? Usually an adjunct with psychological therapies, for sure. We, I can't think of a time where I would, that someone's come to me and said, I want off all of my medicine and I want to be off it before ketamine. It may be a goal that this rewires things. Um, and we, we hopefully get people off or, or get people on a, a lower dose regimen. I prefer and advocate for people to be in subsequent psychotherapy and hopefully with, um, psychotherapy with someone who is kind of ketamine informed and has been through the process of how to, to integrate that in a certain kind of modality, uh, with that. But there's, just one medication uh, in particular that tends to work in 
excuse me, a similar way that ketamine does in the brain. And you may have a, a blunted or kind of lower response with it. And sometimes we, we tweak the dose of, of that medication, but otherwise it, it's rare that we, that people's doses change before starting it. How long is the, is the therapy? Is it ongoing for a lifetime or uh, does it so, have a specific? For, for most people coming in, recommend twice a week uh, for four weeks. So eight sessions um, is pretty common. It's like you said, not many people are providing it in Vermont. So I'm getting uh, people from all over the state and it requires having a driver to drive you here and back. And so reality kind of hits in and a lot of people are doing it once a week. Uh, it really varies if people want a course and to be done, do, if they want to continue and kind of graduate off of it or just know that they can come in for a dose every month or, or every few months. Um, it, it really varies on, on what the person's goals are uh, for that. It's great. I'm going to put you on the spot for a second. Did you read there's, you know, there's some, a lot of um, not literature, but media coverage of using uh, MDMA for things like uh, ecstasy for things like marriage uh, uh, counseling. And, and yeah. of course, the, you know, you put it in the New York times and everybody's going to read it. So I'm sure you got that article forwarded yeah. to you. Any comments on, on that and how it relates at all, if at all to the use of uh, intramuscular ketamine? Sure. I, um, you know, MDMA is uh, in phase three trials right now and probably um, in some form or fashion will be made made to the available to the general public in 2023. Um, what that's going to look like and how restricted that'll be, it's probably going to be more restricted um, than the availability of using ketamine. I'm very excited um, about the research I've shown uh, that I've seen and think that it can be beneficial in a very different way um, as far as connecting with other people, feeling a sense of love, uh, the way that it works in the brain being different and really used a lot more with people with a history of trauma. Um, I, this line of work is slowly or quickly uh, becoming the bulk of my practice. And as far as with ketamine goes, and I, kind of want to be ready uh, for everything else that comes online as soon as it does. And um, getting a lot of my, there's training courses for MDMA assisted psychotherapy um, and, you know, getting that taken care of uh, within the next year as well. So that that can also, as, as soon as we can, be something to bring to the people of Vermont as well. That's great. So I assume that not everyone that presents to you uh, is a candidate for ketamine. What do you look for in, in the patients? You know, a history of, of heart disease um, is, is something we'd look for. Maybe ask for more of a person's medical doctor or um, family doctor or primary care doctor to be on board uh, with uh, the treatment and may have some additional testing. I've, I've had people with a history of seizure disorder. Um, and if that's well controlled, you know, it's just that we give a little bit more caution um, as to whether uh, we want to move forward with that. It has 
some uh, rare risk associated with it with with the bladder um, and with urinary uh, things. So just just taking a thorough history and then seeing whether my history alone uh, that we feel good with moving forward or whether I want to get the person's primary care doctor involved. As far as the procedure, it's it's very safe. I'm in a psychiatrist's office, so it's, you know, there's no white paper, you know, or gowns involved uh, like at your doctor's office. It usually just causes a temporary rise in blood pressure. I have a continuous uh, finger monitor uh, for people and I'm getting real-time updates on people's blood pressure and have you know, a variety of, of things if I need to, you know, treat anything in the office, but side effects, you know, other than some mild headache or dizziness are pretty rare afterward. When you, when you look at your experience now, how many patients, just real quick, how many patients ballpark do you think you've treated with ketamine? It's been close to two years um, that I've been offering the treatment. It's probably... 50 to 75, uh, it, it requires a fair bit of time with, you know, the you know, hour and a half appointment for twice a week. So it, it very much, and I'm, I'm not using nursing staff or, or different staff to administer it and leave. I, I'm staying with, with the patient. So it's, it's limiting. The interest is, you know, increasing significantly though. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how it's staying in the room and being with the patient. That really does cut, cut down. That's a big difference. Yeah. Um, I I want you to share a success story, but also just want to start. I I often do talk about, this is a health show and um, everything we talk about, uh, whether we're talking about the positive uh, power of positive thinking, that was the show we just, just did or athletics or certain surgical Mm -hmm. procedures, nothing uh, in medicine, uh, cures all and is the end all be all. So I just want to make sure the audience knows that uh, what we're talking about is a, a novel treatment that has had uh, very good success uh, that Dr. Pruitt has been using, uh, but by no means is it for everyone, nor will it have the same uh, benefits necessarily in everyone. So with that, uh, share a success story for us. Yeah, I mean, someone, you know, is, is coming to mind so many of my patients have been suicidal, have made suicide attempts, have gone through the ringer of things that they've tried, complicated medication regimens, some people who've had electroconvulsive therapy or shock treatments um, to try to, to deal with depression. And especially someone recently uh, who that's coming to mind and that story is very similar uh, for that person. And at his first treatment woke up tearful and talking about, you know, that he has hope now, um, that he is, um, thinks that he has something, you know, that can be helpful for him and wishes that he'd been able to do this 20 years ago. Someone who's had a history of trauma, who isn't able to talk about it, very much with people who in the course of his six weeks of treatment, life changed so much for the better that his family and friends are talking about what a different person he is. I mean, like there, 
those two come to mind, but it's just feels like person after person after person. I mean, it's just, it's been remarkable and kind of my, my tool belt of things that are to offer to people. And that's great. And we hope it's sustained for those folks. And yeah, are you meeting any, um, any resistance, uh, whether that's, um, professionally, uh, for, you know, anytime something is new, now there's people that are going to support it and there's going to be people who are, uh, you're not so optimistic. Are you meeting any resistance? Not from, um, not from colleagues. Um, yeah. it, uh, from patients, you know, it's people have usually well thought, you know, you know, and, and have tried several other things. So I'm, I'm certainly not, it's usually over 90% of the time. I think that patients are bringing it up or are coming to me just for that. Uh, they've, you know, you've seen on boards or, or different articles that I've, I've been a part of that people just have this in their mind about that being this being a drug that's been used illegally that not many people have used. And think about the people who've, you know, had bad experiences with that or people on their own who've had bad experiences and and bring it up. But I think that the the climate right now, especially uh, with the pandemic that's hit, I think that people are, are very attuned to that level of suffering of their own or for other people and seem to be in a place to, you know, allow more curiosity for themselves or others. Yeah. That's great. Well, well, Dr. Pruitt, thank you so much for joining us today on Medical Matters Weekly. Thank you, Trey. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I look forward to learning more, um, connecting, and you know, maybe we'll have you back on at, at, at some point. Um, I'd also like to thank Mike Cutler from Cat TV, Ray Smith from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare, Ashley Jowett from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare. I'm Trey Dobson. Go out and find joy in everything you do, even in the face of adversity, and we will see you next week. <laughs>